When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sorry about the noise. My neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto? Don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. On 882 6BR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day. Generations of excellence since 1888. Hello once again, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. I'm really not quite sure how to introduce our next guest because he's uh, much more familiar to uh, to listeners of this station uh, than I certainly am. Uh, so I'm just going to say hello, Bob Mormel, and welcome back to the 6PR studio. Good evening, Tim. How are you doing? <laughs> is it coincidence that now that I've reached a certain point in my life, uh, I've become a senior citizen and old age is a reality that you bring me in when you're sponsored by Bower and O'Day. Do, you, do, do, do our friends at Bower and O'Day see me as a project? We're, we're, we're just trying to drum up a bit of business for them, Bob. So uh, have you thought about your funeral yet? Uh, yeah, have, have you got a funeral plan in place, Bob? No, no. no. I, I, I've, told, I've, I've told my Sabrina that there'll be no such thing. There'll be no funeral. Just quietly dispose of my remains and move on. We might uh, have to have to put a nice little plaque for you in the, in the atrium here. I hope not. Now. I hope not. <laughs> but you are such it, it would, a, it, a father figure around here, though. You're like the Papa Smurf of, uh, of 6PR, aren't no, you? No, all remnants of my presence in 6PR have gone, and that's... I a, don't think and that's so. A, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I, um, I'm, what did one... General manager of this radio station once said to me, "Your presence degrades the building." <laughs> <laughs> and yet, you know, you 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 oh, you've it. been such a a feature on the station for so many years. But can I ask you now that you have sort of stepped back a little bit? Are you yeah. are you missing it? No, 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 no. I don't miss it. No. All. What are you up to? What what's what's a day like in the the life of Bob Mormel these days? I like to write. Yeah. Um, what are I, you writing? Uh, well, I wrote 12 stories about my life as a boy growing up in post-war South Fremantle. Yeah. And uh, they were made into a, um, a CD by a, a community radio station and they sold out. Um, I say that not not with, um, not immodestly, um, but I say that to point out that there is an appetite um, out there in your audience and in, mm. the, in the broader community, there's an appetite for Western Australian history. And mm. I'm in an age now where I was able to provide some oral history through my experiences as a kid. And uh, since then, um, you know, I've, I've often, um, I've been writing I was a television and radio critic and, 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 and film scripts even, which we'll get into in yeah, a little while. But. And, uh, and I, was a television radio critic both here and in Melbourne. Um, I wrote opinion pieces for 
um, the Nation Review. I wrote a piece once for the Australian. Um, when I was a, a little kid, uh, I used to write compositions, we used to call them then, and I sent some of them to the Daily News, mm-hmm. and they were usually about horse racing because I lived in a very big and vibrant horse racing uh, community based around San Fremantle, and uh, I used the nom de plume, Cunderden. <laughs> and they and I'll never forget that because Cunderden was a very famous mm. racehorse, a big black stallion, and uh, they actually printed a few of them. Uh, they printed a few of these stories. Simply and, under that name. Yeah, mm. yeah. And then I... Um, then I wrote a few stories for um, uh, while I was working in the abattoir at Rob's Jetty. Uh, I used to write a few stories about horse racing and send them to racing magazines like there was one called Turf Monthly. And mm. I, I just contributed stories, and uh, and once again, once you see your byline in print, you're hooked forever. Mm. But I used. Cunderden when I mm. sent them to Turf Monthly, but um, when I uh, worked for as a radio and television critic in later life, I used my own name. By then, I wasn't as so ashamed to see my work in print. Yeah, and and you're still writing now. Still love writing. What are you writing about? Still just uh, just painting some of your your early childhood stories. I don't know. My my wife reads the stuff that I write. No, I, I write. <laughs> Is she the, your toughest critic? Yeah, no, she she no, she encourages just me, one of many. But she um, she reads it and she said, "Why do you have to have a message in everything you write?" She said, "Everything's got a message," um, and and she believes that I'm a bit too maudlin. Uh, but right now I'm um, I'm in the middle of a story. Um, uh, it's called Trickle Down. Yeah, and it's about hopefully the, it's not about Malcolm Temple's economic policy then. It's it's about the gulf between the rich and the poor, right? Through the eyes of a very wealthy, very wealthy man who's involved in international business, and his Polish maid, middle-aged Polish maid who works for him. Mm. There you go. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. But horse racing, though, and horses generally been a yes. love of yours for a long, long time. Are you still well, uh, uh, actively involved in uh, in equestrian matters no, these days? No, no, I didn't take out my trainer's license this year. Uh, my uh, my trainer's license expires on the first of or on the thirtieth of July, mm-hmm. and I won't be renewing it. Why is that? Well. You, you know, I had a few health problems and I got a bit rickety and I've always prided myself on the fact I can do the work myself and uh, I worked in partnership with my wife and with my brother. Um, we did, my brother Lyle is a very skillful horseman and and um, I always pride myself on the fact we could do everything together, mm. uh, hands-on, ride them, shoe them, do whatever we had to do. Um, when I say shoe, I know how to tack a shoe on if they pull one off in the race I could put on. But yep. when I got to a point where I couldn't do those things anymore and it came home to me one day when um, a young horse knocked me over and normally I would have bounced straight back up but I had trouble getting back up and I said um, I had a few spinal issues and I 
you know, you, just a warning you, bell. You take goes, it as a sign. The warning bell goes off in your head that mm. says, "Hang on a minute." Mm. Now I could. You can get other people to do it for you, and I tried doing that, and uh, my family members always said, "No, no, no, we've got to stay in it. We'll do." It's not the same. Yep. And, yep. and, and now, I, now Bart Cummings was allergic to horses. He never laid a hand on a horse. <laughs> Bart never laid a hand on a horse because he was allergic to them. He used to inspect, isn't it? He used to expect them at a di- um, inspect them at a distance and all that. So it can you can be a great trainer and not touch a horse. It, as long as you're a great manager, yeah. But um, I did and had an eye for an animal. But I, when I couldn't do it, um, I thought that's enough. Mm. Now it was it was horse racing, was it not? That sort of or the horse industry that uh, was your first sort of entry into the yeah. into the world of media, wasn't it? Uh, How did you make the step then beyond that? You always we had- rented a house in South Fremantle. We yeah. lived in Essex Streets in. You're Fremantle. very careful to say South Fremantle, not yeah. any other part of Fremantle, aren't you? Bob? Uh, we, we <laughs> well, South Fremantle ends at the traffic bridge. Beyond that, there's no man's land. <laughs> um, but we moved to. My dad worked on the wharf, and my mum was a barmaid. We we lived in a, a boarding house at Number Nine Essex Street in the middle of Fremantle, in Mrs. Paulson's boarding house. We rented one room there. And I went to South Terrace Primary School, which is where Fremantle Hospital is now. Um, what my mum and dad, this was in post-war WA and accommodation was scarce. My mum and dad were given the opportunity to rent a very old house occupied by a very old couple in Thomas Street, South Fremantle. And we took it. Um, the old couple lived in the front room. The elderly gentleman's face was eaten, being eaten away by cancer. They were literally there waiting to die. They had an old dog called Bruno, and we had use of the rest of the house. And when they um, died, um, we uh, I can't remember if they were taken away to an, an, an old person's home, and they used to call them there, now they're called nursing homes, um, or whether they actually died there, I can't recall because I was only a little kid. But I remember them being there, and we eventually rented the whole house. Mm. Now, all around us were racing, horse racing establishments. The horses worked on the beaches mm. at South Fremantle. There were sweeping beaches mm. with, without impediment that people could work their horses on, and sand hills or wonderful sand dunes. And um, I heard the footsteps in the morning as a little kid, mm. and I went across the road, and there was Jack Collinson, the famous horse trainer, and he gave my brother and I used to pick up horse manure and look after horses before and after school. Yeah, and that's how I started. From there, you jump on them, and mm. and then that's how my interest in them developed. Bob, we're uh, we're going to get into uh, the start of your uh, illustrious media career in just a moment. We do have to take a break, though, so save those stories for a moment. <laughs> this is Bob Mormel, my special guest in this edition of WA's Inspiring Stories here on eight eighty two six PR. You planned your wedding, your holidays and your retirement. Perhaps it's time you planned your funeral too. With step-by-step instructions, Bower and O'Day's simple-to-use online funeral planner makes it easy, providing options along the way and a cost estimate at each stage. Bower and O'Day, generations of excellence. Call 9231-5199 or visit bowraoday.com.au. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. 
Welcome back to this edition of Inspiring Stories with the one and only Walter Robert Mormel, a.k.a. Bob Mormel. Yeah. You were just telling us then about uh, how you came to be Bob, but uh, it's Walter Robert, and and really your your on-air persona is is the Bob Mormel that we know, but uh, that's about it. You're Robert to, to those who know you best. Yeah, my all my family members call me Robert. My mother... Well, used to get very angry when people called me Bob. Um, she, I, I was named after, I was f- the firstborn of three, um, and uh, I was named after my two grandfathers. On my mum's side was Robert Anson Smith. On the other side was Walter William Moormill. That was my grandfather. Um, he deserted my grandmother when he, he was back from World War One. And he came back a very changed man. He was wounded a couple of times. He was a machine gun sergeant. And, well, he joined as a private at age 36. He was a timber cutter from the southwest, originally from Tasmania. And um, he came back and he stayed home a while. Then he deserted my grandfather, my grandmother uh, and all the children. Um, I think there were six or seven of them. A couple, mm-hmm. a couple had died and left them impoverished. And so my mother... Um, sort of loathed him. He disappeared, never to be heard of again. And my mm. mother sort of loathed him, so she wouldn't call me Walter or Wall mm. or Wally. Um, my name, I was Fair always, enough. I was always Robert. Yeah, always Robert. And now you're Bob. Can I ask you when you, you first uh, then entered into the world of broadcasting? It was six uh, IX as a uh, as a as a racing yes. analyst. What then encouraged you, or how did how did you then broaden into general? Uh, current affairs. Well, I told you I had an interest in in um, horses, and yeah. I, used to, I used to write a bit. Mm. Um, uh, I did lots of jobs. I worked in the avatars at Rob's Jetty. Um, I worked on shearing teams. I worked on a farm at Minervale. And you know, I had no skills. Uh, I had a bit of the gift of the gab um, and a, and a. A fertile imagination, but m- most of both of which have served you well over the years. Yeah, well, not all that well, I can tell you. And the gift of the gab can get you into trouble. It can be a curse. But I, you know, I knocked around a lot. I had a sojourn in the navy, and they kicked me out because I behaved badly. All right. Uh, when I was a seventeen-year-old, and we came to an agreement. Um, was it the gift of the gab that got you into trouble yeah, there? Then, well, and that and other things. Um, <laughs> and uh, the navy said. Look, you know, we've both given it a try, but it's uh, not working out. You're not; it's not working out. And uh, they um, very kindly um, allowed me to move on. And I went droving in Queensland um, with good old Dave Patterson, my old boss from Cloncurry. I grew up a lot there because working on a droving team back then, back in the fifties. No mobile phones, no nothing. No. If you fell off a horse and broke your back, they left you under a tree with a water bag and said, well, we'll send some for, one for you when we can because... Might be a month. They had to, <laughs> they had to look after cattle. You yeah. Know, the cattle were all important and there were no roads up through there at that time. But and that was my growing up period, I think, yeah. because... Uh, hitherto, I'd been scatterbrained and moved from job to job and told everyone to go and jump in the lake if they asked me to do something I didn't want to do. Um, 
Uh, but out there, you know, you're part of a team and uh, if you let them down, you lose the cattle or somebody else's life is at risk or you've got a job to do and you need to do it. And I'd been told by a lot of people that I wasn't much good at anything and they were right. Um, I, but old Dave Patterson said to me one day, um, uh, you know, we had a, an issue with the cattle, they rushed. We never used the term stampede. That's an, for American TV series and movies. <laughs> and the cattle rushed one night and uh, we're all, we're, we all had to call on not, not only our skills, but some bravery. And Dave Patterson said to me the next day, uh, you're a good man, Bob. You should stay at this. And uh, I've never forgotten it. it was mm. the first word of encouragement that I've mm. ever had. That's why it reverberated with me. Um, but, so, did, but you didn't stay. <laughs> no, well, the wet season came. Yeah. I finished with Dave and the wet season came and you can't move cattle around. Um, and I made my way back across Australia and got a job on a Norwegian ship. Um, but I'd always had an interest in the horses, you know, mm. when I was driving and i Stayed on the Norwegian ship for quite a while um, as a crew member and I arrived back in Fremantle and found a very, very beautiful young lady at the races whose father was one of the leading trainers and we formed a relationship and we eventually married and stayed married for, I think, for 23 years before we parted. Um, the best thing I ever did was and when she said... Would you mind leaving? I left because you know I was one of I was a, as someone once described me as behaving like a married bachelor, and they were right. Um, but um, from that, um, while we were married, um, I trained a few horses. It's the only thing I really knew how to yeah. do. I trained a few horses for a living, and one day, the late Barry Thomas said to me. Mate, um, I'll give you $10 and a taxi voucher if you'll come out to 6IX and talk about next Saturday's races. Well, mm. I'd have eaten your arm off for $10. Mm. And my wife was working in a department store in the city and she was pretty well keeping the horses fed, but I'd won a few races. And um, I went out there and I sat in front of a microphone and he said, Barry Thomas is a wonderful man with a terrific sense of humour. Um, we were laughing and joking. He said, you don't seem nervous. And I said, what's to be nervous about? There's only you and I here. And he yeah. said, yeah, but there's about 100,000 people listening. But I wasn't intimidated by it. All the the light went on. Why you went? Start talking. And then um, they said, oh, we've got this new, this, um, this new, technique of connecting with the listeners called Talkback Radio and we're going to try it next week and it's going to be a little show called Punter's Hotline. Mm. What do you think? Well, it didn't worry me. I just got on there and had a blue with some bloke about... <laughs> uh, I can't even... I was about the introduction of greyhound racing. I had a blue with him about it. And Barry Thomas said, you better come back every week and we'll give you $10. And then one day... Off you went. Yeah, and then one day they said, um, look, we'd like to try you out. Have you got a, a any sort of a general knowledge about other issues? Well, I'd always been a voracious reader. While on Fridays at school when other people played sport, because I was no good at sport, couldn't play footy, couldn't play cricket. I could play, but badly. Um, I used to go to the, the library and sit down rather than do 
compulsory sport because no one want you know we had factions yep and nobody wanted me on their team because I was no good at anything. So I'd be the one left standing there that no one wanted to pick. And they said, oh, oh, what about, oh, Bob, you can, no, we'll give you a really important job. You can be scorer. So I just go to the library and read. And I did have a fairly broad general knowledge. And so they gave me a job um, doing a, a current affairs program called Mormil at Midday. And early in that, I had a real blue on air with Charlie Court, Sir Charles Court, and yep. I and I often tell Richard, who I hope is still a friend of mine, Richard Court. He, we are we, we Richard Court and I like to think I like to think we're friends. He, yep. and uh, he recently gave me a, a book about his dad with a lovely little message in it. But I credit Sir Charles Court. With launching my career, because I had a terrible. Because you had a massive blue with him on air, and I cut him off. Yeah, right. And, uh, Big and, call. Yeah, made the front page of the well, <laughs> it made the Daily News, and everybody, and I was suddenly labelled in commas controversial. <laughs> there you go. Well, so, that, oh, that was the currency. So I was talk a, back radio, away, time, and, wasn't and, it? And, <laughs> and so Charles Court, to his absolute credit, whenever he'd see me at at meetings or gatherings of press or where he had an announcement to make and I'd be there, he'd always single me out and he'd say mm. something like, oh, well, Charlie's going to get a nice whack around the ears tomorrow. I see more mills here. <laughs> and all that did was added to my currency as a broadcaster. Absolutely. <laughs> Bless him. You've been cashing it in ever since, Bob. Um, and you took your career over to the East. That's what I want to talk to you about uh, in a moment because uh, Sydney and Melbourne uh, both wanted a piece of you, didn't they? So we'll, we'll get into that after the break. Bob Warmel is our special guest in this edition of Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Back with more in a sec. A funeral is a way of celebrating the life of a loved one. A meaningful way to say goodbye and to tell the story of their life. Which is why, when you plan a prepaid funeral with Bower and O'Day, we provide a free Your Story booklet to help you tell your story. Bower and O'Day. Generations of excellence. Call 9231-5199 or visit bowraoday.com.au. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Welcome back to this edition of Inspiring Stories. Our special guest is Bob Mormel. Bob, uh, you've uh, you've obviously uh, made some some waves here on Talkback Radio here in Perth. Sydney then came calling. Uh, you've you've gone over there, taken up the fight to John Laws. How was that? How did you enjoy living in Sydney? Well, <laughs> I hated Sydney. Actually, I'd, they pay a lot of money in Sydney. A lot yeah. of money if you're any good. Uh, it's a very competitive place. It, in every way, yeah. in every, no matter which profession or occupation you're in, it's very competitive. Uh, John Singleton came over, and at the time, he's, he's a right-winger, John, at the time was pushing a right-wing political party. Um, not sure how much I can tell about John's <laughs> first, um, my first meeting, but let's say it didn't go well. Tell us everything, leave out nothing. Uh, no, no, it didn't go well. And, <laughs> and uh, at the time, I, I was a... I was on the opposite side of the political spectrum to John. Mm. We had a raging blue. And when it was over, and it got very ugly in the studio, so much so that poor old Rick Rogers, who was studio manager, 
come rushing in and telling the panel operator to go to a commercial break because it was getting really ugly. And when it was over, you know, it was, but for all that, you know, people couldn't stop listening because I thought, hang on, in a minute now, we'll hear a gunshot or something. It was yeah. getting very heavy. And um, John Singleton said, mate, are you always like that? <laughs> and then back then I was, I mellowed as you do as you get older, you know, develop common sense and, a, and not such a narrow-minded vision about everything. Uh, your mind opens up with age and... Uh, but back then, I, you know, I, I yeah. had very firm views on a lot of subjects and uh, John had the opposite views. We had a, a raging blue. Um, but he said, mate, are you always like this? This is when the program's over. I said, yeah, this is me and if you don't like it, you know. And he said, no, 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 calm down. He said, ever thought of coming to Sydney? <laughs> and I said, what? And he said, I, he said, I can get you a job in Sydney Radio. I said, needs livening up. He said, we've got all these old tarts over there been around too long. And How old were you at this point then? I was in my 30s, I think. Yeah. And um, I think my first time ever walked into radio was I was in my early 30s. Yeah. And uh, So you've gone to Sydney, 2SM. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, how long did you last there? And how? Because you you were up against John Laws, of you know one of the most no, that for, was formidable like, opponents. You know, when I first went, I had two stints in Sydney. The first time yep. I went to Sydney, I worked on two SM in the afternoon with a, a, a co-host called George Moore. Yep. We, we rated number one, number one, number one. Uh, but the station was rating number one. I mean, mm. a gorilla blowing his nose could have rated number one. Uh, it, it, it was the format. It was yeah. Rod Muir had designed the format. He was regarded as a radio genius, uh, and he programmed radio stations through a network. And um, I was part of it, and yep. I did my thing. I couldn't be a DJ. Um, and when they wheeled in ACDC or Ted Mulry or Freddie Fender or the Eagles or whoever it was that come into the studio, I I could wing it. Yep. And um, sound as though I knew what I was talking about. And in between that, in between six tunes an hour, I'd throw in my little homilies about life and uh, about politics and about issues of the day. So it was a mix that they yeah. took to. And then Rod Muir said to me, mate, I need a bit of help. Um you know, he said, uh, 3XY in Sydney, we've got a gap in the afternoons in Sydney. Can you pick your replacement here on 2SM and, I and I'll give you more money to go and work in Melbourne? That was like sending me to heaven. Yeah. Best horse racing, best footy, best everything. And so I went to Melbourne and uh, Kerry Packer contacted me and said... Uh, as only Kerry could, I can tell you, and said he'd sacked Ernie Sigley. Um, can you sing? I said, no, I can't sing. I said, yeah, I can sing. But, <laughs> but I said, badly. But um, I said, I'm better at talking than singing. He said, oh, well, he said, we've got all this, these ads sold to, for this show till the end of the year. Do you want to do it? Do you want every Thursday night, the Mormill show. So I was working on two on 3XY and doing telly. Yeah, for Channel 9 over there. 
and I had no idea what I was doing, mm. Tim. Now, you're a creature of television. I had never, ever, ever uh, been controlled the way you're controlled in television. Oh, it's all smoke and mirrors. And whereas in radio, I walked in the studio, I'd do my thing, and yeah. I had freedom to do as I like, providing I didn't get yeah. sued or breach yeah. the code. Of conduct, but in television, oh, you, you got to you've, take you've, three you're steps and you're stand. A robot. Yeah. yeah, and so I did it, mm. but I was no good at it. Um, you know, I, I was pretty back then, <laughs> and uh, but I was no good at it. But Kerry Packer paid me, and I did it. And when it was, how over, did you find dealing with Kerry? Well, I, I, I first. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't like telling stories because some of them breach confidences, but let's just say the first time Kerry Packer ever spoke to me was after I was on the floor doing an audition. They wanted me to come on television every night in Sydney and introduce each program before it started mm. ad libit. Mm. Uh, so I'd just sit... But they got me in the studio to see how if I could do it. Yep. So I just did it, and yeah. I, I always had to put the tag. Have we got a Have we got a year for you here on nine? God, I was, and that used to appear five times at every night at the beginning of every program. I'd say, <laughs> "Coming up next, we've got SWAT special women, special weapons and tactics. This mob will come on anything. They'll put us." They'll turn you into a sieve if you resist for a moment. They'll eat raw meat. And I'll, I'll do this whole thing <laughs> live. This is live, Timmy. Yeah. And they tried me out and I I just did it. And um, and a voice came down from upstairs. I was in a studio on my own and a voice came down in front of a camera. A voice came down from upstairs. There was um, George, who was the station manager, said, that was great, Bob, but we'll have to run it past Kerry. And I said, Kerry, who's Kerry? And he said, Mr. Packer, he owns the television station, Bob, be nice. And I said, Kerry, I had a cat called Kerry. And next minute, Kerry Packer came on and he said, this is Kerry Packer. First thing you've got to learn is this Kerry's got claws. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, so, yeah, I did that. But then I moved to Melbourne and I was in heaven in Melbourne. Yep. Um, and when the, I did the radio and we rated very, very well, mm. Joe and I, Joe Miller and I, and then um, I did the TV and I was very ordinary at it. If I did it now, I'd be good at it. But back then, I had no idea what I was doing because it was all a different world. I mean, these are all Peter Feynman, Don Lane. Denise, I don't know that you'd get away with that Denise, kind of freeform style anymore, though, Bob. Denise Drysdale, John yeah. Michael Hauser, and they're household words. And then this bloke Mormal comes along they've never heard of. Um, and he's got this funny Fremantle accent. Um, and he doesn't know anything about Aussie rules football. They thought I came from Sydney. And I Little would, did they know. Yeah, but at the end of it all, Kerry Packer, to his credit, got David Evans, the boss of Channel 9, TCN 9, to come and see me and thank me. And David Evans said, Bob, we want to keep you in TV. Do you want to be a judge on a new show we've got coming up called New Faces? And I said, 
no, I'm no good at TV. And I said, and by the way, my contract's up with 3XY. Um, I'm starting to... I'm starting to um, feel that the media mm. media can consume your personality. Uh, I said, I'm going to take my daughter out of school and I'm going to go back to WA, take my daughter out of school and I'm going to travel around the world with her yeah. by train and ship, which I did. <laughs> and I, we went from Fremantle on a Norwegian ship to Japan, took the train through Japan. Lisa was only 14. Took the took a Russian ship to Siberia and travelled on the Trans Siberian Railway, stopping off at various cities. Incredible in the, in the old Soviet Union because I just didn't want to become just another TV celebrity. Well, good on you for for making that call, Bob. They're very boring. When people. are you leaving? <laughs> <laughs> I can recommend a couple of hotels in Novosibirsk. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you about some of your other overseas adventures, Bob, because I must say, until we started doing our research ahead of this interview, I had no idea about your your film script, uh, your uh, experiences with Charles Bronson, and people like that. So we're going to try to get into that after the break. Obviously, got stacks to to, to squeeze in. But uh, stick around. Uh, more with our special guests in this edition of Inspiring Stories. Bob Morble, right after a break here on 882 6PR. Excellence is doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. Perhaps that's why Western Australian families have been trusting in Bower and O'Day, the West Australian Funeral Company, since 1888. Depending on them for their excellent service and commitment and a level of understanding that can only come with five generations of experience. Bower and O'Day generations of excellence call 92315199 or visit baraoday.com.au you're listening to another edition of inspiring stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day WA's family owned funeral directors Welcome back to this edition of inspiring stories Tim McMillan is my name my special guest is Bob Mormel Bob Blue Lady Fire Blue Fire Lady Blue Fire Lady, is it? Yeah, Blue Fire Lady. Blue Fire, fire Lady. Mm. Your your film script, what was Blue Fire Lady about? Because well, it was turned into a feature film in, in the 70s, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. A friend of mine, Ross Dimsey. fascinating title. Uh, Ross Dimsey was, um, he was a film producer and a producer, and he was, um, uh, he, he used to listen to me, and I met him. Yeah, there was a clique. There was a group of us used to get around together. A sort of a rat pack they called us. It was Hinch, myself, John Michael Housen, um, Jim Smiley, um, and Ross Dimsey, and a and a couple of ladies whose names I won't mention on air because they might get embarrassed to be mentioned in that company. But I'm sure they we, we used to knock around Melbourne. We'd have lunch together every Friday. And one day um, there was a, a, a film producer there called um, Tony Ganane, Anthony I. Ganane, and they were bemoaning the fact that they couldn't find a script for a, a general admission, a P, rated mm. G, PG movie. Or well, GA. Surprise, Blue GA Fire movie. Lady fit that bill. And uh, GA. And they said, oh, you know, and they wanted to use at the... the Big name in music at the time, pop music, the heartthrob. He used to throw carnations to the audience. Was um, Mark Holden, 
Yeah. So Mark Holden wanted to be a movie star, I presume. Um, he took the job, but they didn't have a script. So I said, well, I'll write you a script. Um, I said, it's pretty simple. You want to know how to write a movie, a Walt Disney movie script? I've been going to movies since I was eight. I said, boy meets girl meets horse, put in family dog and a, and a lovely old lady and a happy ending. And and everyone's full of red wine, ha, ha, ha. So I went home and, and uh, it took me about three weeks and I had to learn to use camera angles and all yeah. of those sorts of things. So I got a book out of the library called The, the Film Scripts of George Sturgis. Um, Preston Sturgis, I beg your pardon. So I got it out. Preston Sturgis had written about how he put a film script together. So I read this book and I went and wrote Blue Fire Lady and I gave him the script and they went and got private funding. They found, got Mark Holden. He agreed to do it. He was the male, the heartthrob yeah. male lead. They found a lovely old golden Labrador because Goldie was in it. They found a very nice old middle-aged Italian lady to be. Can uh, can I find this uh, blue yeah, fire lady? Yeah, you can find it. it. Yeah. yeah, and okay. uh, and they um, and they wanted an English actress to. Um, play the female lead. So um, Re Rex Harrison, the famous English the actor, had a yeah. granddaughter called Catherine Harrison who was making something of a name for herself in the film and television industry in London and they rang her and she agreed to take the female lead. So all of a sudden they're making this movie. Yeah, Fantastic. And I know you spent some time uh, in London in the in the early eighties yeah. at the uh, invitation of Robert Holmes the Court, no less. Uh, yeah. You spent time in LA. Yeah, I did a bit of uh, working on scripts with Columbia Pictures, and and you had some some dealings with Charles Bronson. So, oh yeah, well that that's something I can't talk about because that was all really. Yeah, I can't talk about that. Why is that? Well, because at the time, um, you know, it was through. Charles Bronson's agent when I was doing some work for uh, Robert Holmes at Court in London and uh, there were certain confidentiality, uh, I can say it, you're the newsreader <laughs> on the mug from South Metal. There were certain confidentiality clauses in, um, in agreements that uh, Charles Bronson and his management had with the company that Rob Holmes at Court had at the time and I don't intend to breach no. them. Okay. I don't want to breach them. Fair enough. But let's Charles, just, though, good man? No. I didn't. I, I can honestly say I don't. I, I didn't don't know. know him well enough to make okay. that call. I can only say that um, the movie that I was asked to look at and to determine whether or not the, the company picked up an option to have another one starring Charles Bronson um, caused me to... <laughs> Caused me to believe <laughs> that we shouldn't have him in another film. Right, right. If ever right. you, if ever, well, you be your own judge. If ever you can find it, have a look, look for a movie called Love and Bullets for Charlie. Love and Bullets for Charlie. Okay, I'll, I'll dig I that took up one, right after I, I took get one look at it. Fire lady. I took one look at it and said, if we've got the option to make another movie like that, forget about it. But yeah. I, I only worked. Uh, for Mr. Holmes Court for a short time in mm. his in his film division in London, and um, I did some work for him back here in WA. Um, 
but I was never a long-term employee mm. of Mr. Holmes, of course, because we had a different approach to things. He was mm. he was a very sophisticated business person. I had a few rough edges. Well, you brought those rough edges back to the the airwaves in in Perth, um, which you know I'm sure a lot of people know about. But uh, can I ask you as well can, about can, your... can I just make one point? I hope you leave sure. leave this in, and my friend Frizz well, does. We're leaving it all in, Tom. and. A lot of people like Mr. Pack, like Kerry Packer, who was spoken about disparagingly, and uh, and Rob Holmes, of course, um, who's something of a mystery, and and other people, um, people who've run this radio station from time to time, have given me many many opportunities. Mr. Holmes Court, Robert Holmes Court gave me a great opportunity. Kerry Packer gave me a great opportunity. John Singleton opened doors for me. Now, there's there's good and bad in all of the people that I mentioned, depending mm. on who you talk to. Some like them, some loathe them. But as I reflect, without from one moment ignoring their shortcomings, they gave me a lot of opportunities that I didn't deserve and I didn't make the most of them and I should be grateful. And that's why I'm loathe to say anything disparaging about any of them. Mm. Um, the fact that I didn't go on and have a magnificent career in television that went for generations, it wasn't Mr Packer's fault or the audience's fault or anyone else's fault. The doors opened for me that other people... They would have killed to get the chances that I had. And now, you know, I talked my way into them, but, but I you, also you talked have, my way out of them. You might have become, you know, stale and jaded if you'd stayed there. Well, too that was, long. There was that a was, reason that you made the decisions that you made at the time, though. That why was, you pulled your door out of school and went around the world. Yeah, that was what I always feared. Yeah. I didn't want to become some post-menopausal zom- male zombie, post-male menopausal There's zombie. There's plenty of them around it, uh, you know, as who, it is. Who go to lunches and talk about their brilliant career yeah. and, and should have left before they were kicked yeah. out. I didn't want to become one of those. Well, good on you. So I, I, but I just want to make the point very strongly that a lot of people gave me a lot of opportunities, the people that I've mentioned, yep. and it's no reflection on them that I didn't make a resounding success out of all of them. It's a reflection on me and my concentration span and the fact that I had an in, incurable wanderlust and, and a fear of becoming some media clone. Well, one of the things that, that has uh, been a constant in your life Bob, is your love of uh, of South Romanel? Yep, uh, and well, blotted uh, me copybook there. I can tell you, <laughs> <laughs> um, and the the, the Fremantle Dockers as well. You, you, you took on the Fremantle Dockers yeah. uh, in a big way. Um, yeah. Tell us about your involvement uh, in an official capacity with the oh, Dockers. Well, I, I was on the board of the Dockers for a year or so during a very turb- yep. turbulent period. But um, we're talking about the, the the Chris Connolly era, really, aren't we? Well, I'm, can I be really controversial? Go, wouldn't be the first time, Bob. Chris Connolly is the best coach the Fremantle Dockers have had. Ever. That's my view. There you go. I think Chris Connolly, from my experience, now I've never had any intricate dealings with Ross Lyon, um, and I I knew Mark Harvey and my friend Brad Hardy spoke very highly of him, and I thought he did a pretty good job. Yep. But my dealings with Chris Connolly, I was there when he was appointed. He 
came in when the when the club was an appalling low ebb, and he had to be the front man to go and see the sponsors, the front man for the media, coach the football team, assist with the restructuring. He dragged Fremantle up to be a football team that started to win. Didn't win all the time, but started to win. Mm. Started to create an air of excitement. He was the first coach to to get him into the eight. You know, and I believe he was. I'm trying to think if Nisham did, but he got him into the eight. Um, now he had he he and Cameron Schwab, who was the CEO, were best of friends, and that might have been a drawback to Chris's career. But when people ask me about Chris Connolly, I can only say I sat in on meetings with him, I saw him plot strategies, I saw him deal with players, and I can't say that I was that close to the others, but I was mm. that close to Chris. And when people ask me, I say I believe, the and Jared Neesham and his supporters may not like this, but when people ask me, I say I believe the best coach that Fremantle had was Chris Conley, and I believe if he had remained there without Cameron Schwab as CEO, mm. because maybe having a mate that close wasn't necessarily a healthy thing, their roles became interspersed. I think Chris would have taken Fremantle May not to a grand final, but they'd have been a very formidable force mm. if he'd have had them for a few more years. That's my opinion, and I'm sure people will argue with it, but I can only speak from what I saw and what I believe. There you go. Well, that's been your mantra throughout your broadcasting career, really, hasn't it, Bob? And fitting that we should end on a slightly controversial note that people might be hearing you and yelling at their car stereos or their speakers or whatever right now. So uh, a fitting note to, to, to finish this on. Bob, it's been great chatting to you this last hour or so. Thanks for sharing your stories. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. It's Bob Mormel. You'll be listening to uh, Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Everyone has a story to tell, and this one, Bob Mormel's brought to you once again by Barra and O'Day. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.